eyes on the road, hands on the bars, feet on the pedals. Eyes on the road, hands on the bars, feet on the pedals. This was the phrase that I recited over and over and over again as I was teaching each one of my four kids how to ride a bike. Why? Because if their eyes are not on the road, wherever their eyes go, that's where the bike's going to go and they're going to crash. If their hands leave the bars, they're going to fall. If their feet stop pedaling, they're not going to go anywhere. And so this became the phrase over and over again that I used, that they would remember it so they would know how to ride a bike. In fact, we have video evidence of this. Let me show you how I was teaching Lila how to ride a bike. I, hold on, Lila. You ready? Eyes on the? Eyes on the road. Hands on the? Bars. Feet on the? Pedals. All right, here we go. Ready. Get set. Go. The purpose of this was to help them remember the fundamentals of riding a bike. Now, I'm not sure what devices you use to remember the most important things in your life. Maybe it's a notes app on your smartphone, or maybe it's sticky notes posted up around your house. Or, you know, one of the tricks I use as a pastor to remember people's names is I'll say their names in my head and even out loud a few times as I'm meeting them for the first time. In fact, I make this promise to every one of our high school students in our high school ministry that when I meet a brand new student, I'll tell them, hey, when you come back next Wednesday to HSM, to our high school ministry, come up and quiz me, ask me, what's my name? And if I forget your name, I'll buy you Starbucks. Now, hold on Purpose Church. I'm not ready to offer that deal to all of you. That's just for our high school students. You see, the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus can be summarized up in one word. Remember, Remember what? In Exodus chapter 29, verse 46, it says, They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God, this phrase, this idea, the sentiment here that God was the one who led the Israelites out of slavery actually gets repeated in the book of Exodus over 100 times. It's the core message. It's the thing that God wants his people to remember, that he was the one who freed them from slavery. Well, I want to welcome you to week two of Jesus on every page, where for the next year, we're going to be looking at every single book of the Bible, and and we're really going to be dissecting it, looking at the context of each book, looking at where Jesus shows up in each book, and then offering some practical encouragement for you and I from that specific book. And, you know, there's really three ways that that you and I can stay engaged in this series. And we want to encourage you to lean in and to enjoy and experience all that God has for you throughout this series. The first way that you can engage in this series is by simply showing up on Sundays or tuning in online and digesting and processing the sermon that each week we're going to be talking about preaching through each book of the Bible. And so we want to encourage you to be engaged with our messages 
messages on Sundays and throughout the week. The, the next thing that you could do is you could do something daily, that you could read God's word alongside us. Our groups team did an incredible job putting together a Jesus on every page Bible reading plan for the entire year, where they've picked the most important stories from each book of the Bible and put that into a reading plan for you. And, and you can get this one for you by going to purposechurch.com slash Bible. You could print it up for yourself. You could download it to your phone. Want to make sure you get that. And the third way to engage would be to discuss this content in your life groups, in community. So let, let's jump into what we're going to be talking about today. We want to offer you an overview of Exodus. We want to look at where Jesus shows up in Exodus. And then I want to talk about some leadership lessons from Exodus. So let's start with an overview of Exodus. The first question is, who wrote it? Well, Pastor Glenn did a great job last week unpacking the book of Genesis, and he talked about how the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, that those were all written by Moses. And there's some people who question, did Moses really write those books? Did Moses really write the book of Exodus? Well, the main reason that I believe Moses wrote the book of Exodus is because Jesus believed that Moses wrote the book of Exodus. In Jesus' own words in Mark chapter 12, verse 26, he says, now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, which comes from the book of Exodus, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And so Jesus believed that Moses wrote the book of Exodus and and so do I. Exodus, the word exodus literally means to exit or a departure. This is the whole backdrop. This is the backbone of the book of Exodus. Timeline-wise, around the year 1600 BC, that's when the Israelites officially became enslaved in Egypt. In the year 1526, we believe Moses is born. And then by 1446 BC, that's when God used Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. That's when the Exodus begins. The, the book of Exodus could be broken up into six different sections. If you were to divide up the book into six sections, it might look like this. Chapters 1 to 14 describe Israel's exit from Egypt. Chapters 15 to 18 describe their journey to Sinai, which Sinai was the wilderness where God led them, but also the mountaintop where he revealed himself to them. Chapters 19 to 24 describe the Ten Commandments and the Book of the Covenant, what it means to be in a right relationship with God for the Israelites. In chapters 25 to 31, the tabernacle instructions are given, this, the worshiping dwelling place where God would dwell with his people. Chapters 32 to 34 describe the crisis, the drama of the golden calf crisis where the Israelites chose to worship a golden calf instead of the God who had freed them and God's forgiveness and an invitation back into relationship for the Israelites. And then chapters 35 to 40 describe the tabernacle being built and that God's dwelling presence would be with his people. Now, some have questioned whether the historical account of Exodus is historically reliable. And for, to help clear that up, I want to draw our attention to the Jewish scholar uh, Nahum Sarna. He, 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 he actually said this. 
There are many correlations between descriptions in Exodus and situations described in other documents of the ancient Near East. An Egyptian frontier official reported Bedouin tribes moving into Egypt's delta to keep them and their cattle alive, just as is described in Exodus. Egyptian texts praise the beautiful cities of Python, the house of Autumn, and Ramses, the house of Ramses, named in Exodus 1 verse 11 and built by Ramses II in the eastern Nile Delta. Satire of the trades describes the harsh conditions of agricultural laborers and brickmakers from an Egyptian perspective. Records note that a 2,000 brick quota per day was expected from a gang of 40 men and was rarely achieved, just as is described in Exodus. The admonitions of an Egyptian sage mentions turning water into blood, which was the first plague described in Exodus, copied by the Egyptian magicians. And so there's evidence outside of the book of Exodus that validate the historical record of Exodus. Now, where do we see Jesus in Exodus? Well, Moses, one of the main characters in Exodus, he becomes like a precursor to the Messiah. That God used Moses to redeem and free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt as a way of pointing to the Messiah, who who would eventually free all of humanity, all people from the bondage of sin. One of the first and primary ways that Exodus points to and gives us a a, a picture of Jesus comes to us in the passage, Exodus chapter six, verses six and seven. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This is an incredibly rich, theologically rich passage. You see, here God is promising, number one, he's revealing himself, he's identifying himself as Yahweh. The word Lord here is the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is, which is God's relational name. He's saying, I'm personal and I want a personal relationship with you. And then God says that he is going to redeem Israel. The word redeem or redemption is an ancient Near East marketplace financial term. In fact, to redeem someone, the way that would work out is if if somebody had sold themselves into slavery because they owed a debt that they could not pay. The only way that they could ever be free was for one of their family members to redeem them, to pay the price for their freedom. And God says, I am going to redeem my people. And then it says in the text that, that God promises to take them as his own. And in the original language in the Hebrew, which the story was first written in, to take as their own is the word adopt. That here God promises to adopt Israel just as he has adopted 
us. Jesus is personal as Yahweh is personal with Israel. Yahweh or Jesus redeemed us from sin as Yahweh redeemed the Israelites from slavery. And Jesus has adopted us into his forever family as God adopted the Israelites. You see, and the expectation was set that Jesus would be the redeemer of all of Israel, of all of humanity. There's this moment recorded for us that once Jesus had died, but before some of the followers of Jesus had seen him risen from the dead, they're having a conversation that's recorded for us in Luke chapter 24. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But this wasn't just a hope. Jesus actually fulfilled this. Paul, Paul, look at the parallels between what the Israelites experienced in their freedom from slavery and what Christ has done for all of us in Galatians chapter four, verses four to seven. Paul says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem, to buy back, to free those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Well, the second way that the book of Exodus points to Jesus would, would most likely be and most, most visibly see, seen through the Passover lamb, the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. Here we see the temporary Passover lamb described for us in Exodus chapter 12 Beginning in 21, then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. You see, what's being described here is that God was enacting his final judgment on the Egyptians for their sin, for enslaving the Israelites. But God introduces this idea of a sacrificial lamb that, that blood was shed to cover over, to pass over the sin of the Israelites. And yet Jesus, he becomes the perfect Passover lamb. In John's gospel, he talks about this. In John chapter one, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus, this is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the author of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is the perfect lamb, that he's the perfect sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, unlike the other high priests, he, talking about Jesus, does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. And so Jesus 
becomes our perfect sacrifice. Sacrificing himself so that we might be redeemed. So that we could be back in perfect relationship with God. Now for the last section, I want to talk about leadership lessons from Exodus. Now I want to start by saying a bold statement that you may disagree with, but it's this. Everybody is a leader. That every one of you listening or watching right now, everybody is a leader. And immediately when I said that, maybe some kind of warnings were going off in your head and you thought to yourself, not me. There's no way I'm a leader. It's not in my job title. Nobody's ever called me a leader. I've never seen myself as a leader. I'm not a leader. But friends, I actually believe every single one of us is a leader in some capacity. I mean, look at John Maxwell's quote. This is how he describes leadership. Leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. If leadership is influence, then every one of us is a leader. Whether we're a good leader or a bad leader, that's to be discussed. But every one of us is a leader. In fact, just from where you're at right now, like raise your hand. Did you get out of bed this morning? Did you brush your teeth? Did you get dressed this morning? Are you a part of a work team? Are you a part of a family? Are you around other people? Do you have roommates or neighbors or classmates? If you have other people around you, or if you are just a person solo going through life, you are a leader. Whether you're leading yourself or leading others, your influence is making a difference. And you know, Moses Moses had a really interesting leadership journey. And because there's so much recorded about the life of Moses, we get to see him at his worst as a leader, the bad days of his leadership, and then his redeemed, his good days as a leader. In fact, Moses really went through four different leadership stages, and it's what I want to talk about today. First, Moses started out as a prideful leader, and then he became a passive leader. And then God changed his life and he became a prayerful leader and a proactive leader. I wonder which one of these describe you. Are you more prideful or passive as a leader? Or are you more prayerful and proactive? You see, pride and passivity, those are external expressions of internal insecurity. And so we're prideful or we're passive outwardly because inwardly there's insecurity within us. But when we're prayerful and proactive, oh, those are external expressions of internal security. The kind of security that comes only by knowing God, by being in a relationship with Jesus, by recognizing that you're a person made in his image, that he has forgiven you, that every day is a new day and a new opportunity, that you are a child of God. You see, being prayerful and proactive, that's an outward expression of an inward understanding that you have a purpose and a plan and you are a child of God. God. And what I want to do is I want to look at these different stages in Moses's life as a way of maybe helping us understand where we're at and where God wants to lead us. So let's begin. Moses, the prideful leader. Moses, the prideful leader. Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. 
Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hurting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. The text doesn't say that Moses was looking to God and wondering how he should handle this situation where one of his fellow Hebrews was being beaten by an Egyptian. No, it says that he was looking to the left and to the right to make sure he wasn't going to get caught. And then he took matters into his own hands. That he assumed he knew best how to handle this situation and his pride got the best of him. And he thought he was gonna be rewarded. He thought that the Hebrew would see that as an act of courage, but instead it backfired on him. You see, you and I's giftedness, you and I's compulsion, um, our, our gut reaction to a situation, our talent, if it is not matched by our character, we will find ourselves in a difficult and in a dangerous place. It's, it's why Andy Stanley said this, your talent and giftedness as a leader have the potential to take you farther than your character can sustain you. That ought to scare you. So some of you have been described for a lot of your life or maybe even just recently as someone with great potential, as someone with great accomplishments, as someone with great skill and charisma and giftedness and talent. And let me caution you, if your character is not your priority, the giftedness and the talents and the skills and the accomplishments will actually backfire and ruin you because we'll be operating out of pride instead of out of our character that is being developed by God. Well, let's look at Moses, the passive leader. Exodus, so, so Moses, you know, he, he goes through this stage as we're gonna see where he becomes a passive leader. And, and, and honestly, for a lot of us, we become passive leaders when we were first prideful leaders and then we were wounded. We were rejected. We were hurt. Something happened we didn't expect and we become passive. Or, or maybe for you, your whole family has been full of passive people. No one's really taken a proactive, engaged role in your life or in, in their lives. And it's just become a way of understanding that you've, you've begun to focus so much on your weaknesses or your insecurities. Well, that's exactly where Moses finds himself. You see, Moses has been taking care after the passage we just read. Moses has been taking care of his father Jethro's sheep. And he's just kind of going about his business. And then one day he sees a burning bush, but it's not being consumed by the fire. And so it intrigues him. He walks closer and then he hears the voice of God. And God says this to him. Exodus chapter 3 Verses seven to 11, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Perizzites and Hevites and Jebusites. 
And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And Moses is going, yeah, that sounds awesome, God. So now go. And Moses is like, er, hold on. Say what? Oh, oh, wait, I, I love that speech, but you want me to go? And, and God continues, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses gets scared. And he's been so humbled. He's no longer prideful, but he's, he's passive. And so he begins to question God. He begins to doubt God, which, which doesn't make any sense because God has literally spoken to him out of a bush. I mean, this should have been the moment for Moses to say, I don't care what you're calling me to do. If you, God, are speaking to me in a bush, I'm going to go. If you say something's going to happen, it's going to happen. But Moses resorts to passivity. Verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Let's go to the next verse, the next uh, rebuttal from Moses. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say to the Lord, did, not appear, did the Lord not appear to you? Let's go to the next verse. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And then look at what Moses said next. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. You see, passivity feels safer. Passivity feels safer because there's no danger of failure if you don't try. But here's the problem. Moses, Moses is not trusting in God's strength. He's trusting in his weakness. In fact, passivity is rooted in trusting my weaknesses more than trusting in God's strength. I wonder in what area of your life right now are you trusting more in your weaknesses, in your insecurities, in your past? Maybe there was a past failed relationship that is keeping you passive from engaging in any future relationship because you're trusting more in your weaknesses than in God's strength. That maybe there was a failed venture or, or an investment that you made or, or a, a thing that you felt God calling you to do that didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. And because of that, you're held captive and you're not willing to be courageous and to do the thing that you sense God calling you to do right now. And it's because you're trusting in your weaknesses more than you're trusting in God's strength. And that's the danger of passivity. But you see, here's the hope in the story of Moses and in the book of Exodus, is that if we go back to our leader box, there's a way to move from being prideful to prayerful. And there's a way to move from being passive to proactive. And that's exactly what happens for Moses. Let's look at Moses, the prayerful leader. In Exodus chapter five, verse one and two, it says, afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. 
Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. I, I, I didn't see this until recently, especially when I was studying it this week. This is a crazy moment. Did you hear what Pharaoh did or what Moses did? Moses went toe to toe with the most powerful person in the world at his time, face to face. Moses looked Pharaoh in the face and said, I need you to let all of these Israelites who you have enslaved, who are building up your economy, who you completely rely on, I want you to let them go so that they could go to a worship service. That's crazy talk. What, what, that, was, that was like the worst pitch that Moses could ever give to Pharaoh. But that's the heart of God. In fact, in fact, check this out. Seven times, seven times Moses made it clear to Pharaoh that Israel's freedom was about them being able to worship the one true God, Yahweh. Chapter five, verse one, chapter seven, verse 16, chapter eight, verse one, chapter eight, verse 20, chapter nine, verse one, chapter nine, verse 13, and chapter 10, verse three. God did not free his people so they could live their best life, but so they could live the best life, a life in the presence of God and in worship to God. Friends, you and I worshiping God, being together, worshiping God is a major priority to God. In fact, it's what fueled his desire to free his people from slavery. He saw their misery and he had compassion on them and he wanted them to be able to worship God. In fact, friends, friends, God did not free you from sin so you can live your best life, but so you can live the best life. God did not free you from your sin, die on the cross, rise from the dead, offer you forgiveness and eternal life so you could go and do whatever you want with your life. That's not how it works. In fact, he has something better for you. God freed you so that you could live the best life, which is a life in obedience to him, which is a life praying and connected to him which is a life of worship to him, where that is the priority of your life, of your family, of your relationships. James Bruckner, the Old Testament scholar, he said this, the purpose of the exit from Egypt is not freedom for freedom's sake, but freedom to serve the Lord. This means that the exodus itself is missional, also as demonstrated in part in the worship that culminates their exit from Egypt. Egypt. But then look at what happens next. Just a few verses later, Exodus chapter five, verse 19. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. See, Moses goes very honestly to God. But this time he's prayerful. This time he's saying, God, 
I know that you've spoken to me. I trust you. Help me to see what it is that you are doing. You see, Moses experienced criticism. And because every one of us are a leader and every one of us have have influence over others, the question is not, will you receive criticism in life? The, The question is, when you receive criticism, where will you go? And Moses goes to God. And this plays out through the rest of the book of Exodus. Over and over again, Israel complains, Moses goes to God. Israel complains, Moses goes to God. You see, Moses is an incredible example to the Israelites. Uh, Let me make this practical. For those of you that are parents, for those of you that are parents out there, I want to encourage you to maybe consider adopting this parenting philosophy. Maybe you're wondering, what is our parenting philosophy? Maybe you just found out you're pregnant or you're thinking about having kids someday or you have little ones or maybe even you need to sort of do a a course correction with some of your teenagers. What would it look like for you to make this your parenting philosophy? Make Jesus the hero of your family. When Jesus is the hero of your family, you're constantly talking about how he has saved you and forgiven you. You confess your sins to each other and talk about ways you've dropped the ball and how God has forgiven you. When you're driving around with your family and you see something beautiful out in creation, you're pointing it out and saying, kids, look, look at Jesus and what he has done for us. That when your family needs to go through a transformation, you lean on Jesus. What if Jesus was the hero of your family? And the way you model that for your kids is you pray, you read God's word. You pray for your neighbors. You talk to your neighbors about Jesus. You talk about Jesus in your house. You read God's word. I I remember when I was a ninth grader and I really began following Jesus for the first time, my dad and I were reading the Bible together and I'll still never forget how powerful those moments were. And it wasn't because he knew a lot about the Bible or a lot about Jesus that it was so impactful. It's that we were just reading God's word together. And lastly, Lastly, Moses, the proactive leader. You see, we're about to meet the new Moses who combines being prayerful and proactive to be the kind of leader that God had called him to be. It it reminds me of Chick-fil-A, kind of their worldwide leadership headquarters has this sort of catchphrase. Whenever you have a problem, put a leader on it. Oh, God had a problem and it was that the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians. And so he put a leader on it. He put Moses on it, but he had to develop Moses from being a prideful, passive leader to becoming what God wanted him to be, what God wants all of us to become, prayerful and proactive leaders. And at this incredibly tense, scary moment in Moses or in Israel's story, where they've been freed from Egypt, they're walking out, they find themselves at the Red Sea and the, the uh, Egyptians are chasing them down and they're uncertain about their future. This moment is recorded for us in, ex, in Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. 
Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You see, friends, here's the truth. Your problems, your struggles, your temptations, they're too big for you. Because Satan's too powerful for you, but not for God. Your struggles, your temptations, your challenges in your own hands, by your own power, you can't overcome them. But in the hands of God, your life in God's hands, he can overcome the temptations in your life. He can overcome the struggles. He can overcome the past. He can overcome the trauma. He can overcome all the things that are keeping you prideful and passive. And he can make you prayerful and proactive. This is why I wanna just talk to the husbands out there for a minute. Do you know what your wives need? They need you to be a spiritual leader in your family. They need you to be prayerful and proactive in the way you pursue them and the way you pursue the Lord. But wives, before you think you're off the hook, do you know what your husbands need? Your husbands need you to be a spiritual leader in the family. They need you to be prayerful and proactive. Those are the healthiest marriages. In fact, if you want to know who's the spiritual leader in the Holmstrom family, the spiritual leader in the Holmstrom family is Jesus. That we take our cues from Jesus. And when my wife Sarah and I are both pursuing Jesus, when we're prayerful, when we're proactive in our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, we're at a healthy, great place grandparents, aunts, and uncles, be proactive and prayerful in your families. Those of you that are in the workplace, that are students at school, be prayerful and be proactive. That's what the world needs. The world needs prayerful and proactive leaders who have a vision for the kingdom of God. And they want that to be experienced in their families, in their relationships, and even in their workplaces. And proactive relationships, oh, they're so powerful and so transformative. One of my best friends, Justin Fisher, for over a year now, him and I have been holding each other accountable and primarily to two things. To number one, reading the Bible every single day and number two, making healthy eating choices. And I gotta tell you, he, he's on me. I mean, he, he has really helped me in this area because I gotta confess to you, I've never passed a buffet that I didn't want to devour. I've never seen on the side of a restaurant all you can eat and thought I'll pass on that. No, I, I, in fact, I kind of live, I, I, wanna, I have like a motto, man. I want to make every restaurant regret they ever offered a buffet or offered an all you can eat. But the truth is that isn't good for me. And just this past Monday, we were celebrating the holiday, New Year's Day, and, and we were celebrating uh, my father-in-law's birthday and my sister-in-law's birthday. And as we were driving to their house, I was thinking about the big meal that we were going to have. I knew that my mother-in-law and father-in-law were, were making a, a Cajun Louisiana feast for us. There was going to be red beans and rice and ribs and cornbread and deliciousness all around. And you got to believe, I was thinking, man, I'm going for two or three portions on this one. And it just so happened that that morning as we were driving there, uh, Justin sends me a text 
and I check it later before I got to, you know, before, once we were parked there, but before we went inside and, and he had said in the text message, he said, hey, Eric, uh, you know, what are, what, are your, what are your plans today to eat healthy and to read God's word? And so you know what I did? I told him, I said, hey, I read God's word and here's what God taught me. I totally deflected about the eating healthy. And then I asked him, I said, what's God teaching you? And he wrote back, he knows me so well. He wrote back, he said, uh, hey, Eric, I want to challenge you. What are you doing to eat healthy today? And I texted him, I said, Justin, your question is annoyingly perfect in its timing. I said, here's what's going on today. I'm committing to you right now that I'm only gonna eat one portion. And I gotta tell you, friends, having that kind of proactive, prayerful person in my life holding me accountable, it's not fun all the time. But it's better than that. It's helpful. It's transformative. And it keeps me living a prayerful and proactive life. See, Ruth Haley Barton, who wrote a book all about Moses's leadership, she said, truly, the best thing any of us have to bring to leadership is our own transforming selves. Moses went on a journey from being a prideful and passive leader to becoming a prayerful and proactive leader. What would that journey look like for you? And honestly, which are you right now? Because by God's grace and power, you and I can go from being prideful to prayerful. And we can go from being passive to proactive through and only through the Holy Spirit's work in our lives.